Welcome to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. I'm your host, Les Shapiro. And I'm your co-host, Vic Lombardi. Now, each episode, we'll bring inspiring interviews with great athletes, celebrities, and the most brilliant minds in medicine on how to beat adversity to win in life. So thanks for spending time with us as we bring you one step closer to becoming your best unstoppable self. Our guest today is George Carl. He is the sixth winningest coach in NBA history. How are you, George? Life is good. I'd like to make it a little more exciting, but I think we'll get there in time. George, under normal circumstances, let's say we get back to to living more normal lives. Um, Catch us up. What what are you doing with yourself now, and is any of it basketball-related? You know, I have a lot of of my assistant coaches are still in the league. A lot of my... I still have Nate McMillan and and uh, Dwayne Casey and Terry Stotts and there are other coaches when they come through Denver give me a call and uh, you know sometimes I go have dinner with them or have lunch or breakfast with them. I get into gym a lot. You know I w- I was planning on going to Australia and Poland for some clinics, but those have been canceled this summer. So I, I study the game. I don't study it as much as I probably did before, but. I'm I'm interested in where the game is going. I've always I've always felt that it was one thing I always try to do is be coach ahead of the game before it happens, and I, I still do that now because I think the game in a very quick way has turned to be really fast, kind of how like we played in 2013. Now everybody's kind of playing that way, but what's the next step? What is the next step? Because everybody's playing that way. 25 of the 30 teams probably play the same way. And that's what I didn't like about the game when I said I wanted to go to the gap. Uh, so I'm, I'm into the game. My son is a coach. I spend a lot of time with him. You know, I, I do a lot of, you know, the podcast that we're doing. It talks a lot about the game and the problems of the game and go a little bit deeper. Vic and I had a great conversation about media. Uh, so I'm always trying to be amateur psychologist, amateur sociologist along the way. Well, in our opinion, George, you are the uh, walking, talking personification of uh, Unstoppable. And uh, this is what you've been for your entire career, certainly your coaching career. Let's jump into the Wayback Machine a little bit. When you came out of North Carolina, Carolina Blue, and you joined the San Antonio Spurs, and I believe your career, you went from 73 to 78. You played for the great... You know, Larry Brown, Doug Moe. What injury-wise, what cut short your career exactly? I tore my knee up. I tore up my left knee. And uh, I had surgery one time in the ABA. And I came back and was pretty good and, and got healthy. And then the second time is real early in the first year of San Antonio in the NBA with Doug. And I think it was in Kansas City when the when – the, Utah Jazz. Was it Utah Jazz? No, Kansas City Kings were – who'd they become? Oh, Sacramento. Exactly right. You coached them. <laughs> but I was um, – I tore my knee up early in the season, six or seven games in. I had a bone spur on it. I had to have two surgeries on it. And I wasn't good enough. Doug called me a big stiff, and I probably was. Well, the, the knee was mild compared to what you went through uh, as a head coach. Um, Prostate surgery in 2005, and then uh, head and neck cancer in uh, 
what year was it? 2010, I believe it was. Yeah. But you kept going. You just kept going and go. You're like the Energizer Bunny. You just kept going and going and going. You got in 2005, I think you had some surgery and then you came back. How did that impact your view of your career and whether or not you wanted to continue? Now, I, I know you're a bit of a gym rat when it comes to coaching um, and that that is your in many ways your self-identity. But at any time, did you think, you know what, this just isn't worth it. This is such an intense job. Um, I, I'm giving myself stress on a daily basis because coaching in the NBA is not easy. So at any time did you say to yourself, you know what, maybe I just need to stop and take care of myself. Uh, prostate cancer. No, but the head and neck cancer was really tough. Um, I lost 60 pounds, fed myself through a, a tube in my stomach. Couldn't swallow. I was cancer free in April Still had the tube in my stomach in July. I, I had trouble getting confidence in swallowing and eating. Uh, and that was early July. Uh, I remember the ESPYs. I got the I got a word at ESPYs, and I, I said I have to take this tube on him. I have to learn how to eat again. And then uh, around August, I had to decide if I was going to come back to coach. And I had doubts. And I think if, if it wasn't for my coaching staff that I really thought was an A-plus coaching staff and their support, I don't know if I would have come back. But I think because of the staff and my confidence that we could figure out how to, how to overcome my strength, lack of strength. And, um, and that was the summer where Mello announced that he wanted to be traded. And that was, that was even... It was stress you didn't need. Yeah, I would say it was a difficult hand to be dealt. I mean, it's a difficult hand to be dealt where you're trying to build a team and camaraderie and chemistry and connection, and one guy wants out. And he's the most important guy, according to everybody in the world. Uh, we didn't think he was the most important guy, but everybody else did. And, and then so... We are protecting him, and he's the jackass in the room. And it got to be psychologically dysfunctional and disserving, I think, to the camaraderie of team, of, of the things I believe in. And so, you know, you know, that starts in really in September, but October, November, December, January. So you're going four months where every day, not every day, maybe in Denver, but anytime you go on the road, the number one question is mellow. And it's the same question. It's the same answers. And you get mentally fatigued by bullshitting uh, and protecting and covering for the guy that's trying to mess you up. So, you know, it kind of was weird. I think that was a time in my life that I was trying to control my, you know, taking the job home with me. I was trying to balance my life out. And I was delegating a lot more to the coaches. And then probably the most fun I've had in coaching is when we traded them and everybody thought we were going to be you know, down to the bottom. And, and we played good basketball. I mean, we played Oklahoma City in that first round. and. 
we had a beating, I think, game one, and a tough call, goaltending call with like a minute 30 to go in the game. Uh, we, if, we got that, if we get that goaltending call, I think we go up five. Instead, you know, we lose the game. And so, you know, we played them, I think, a really respectable series. Um, and then, of course, the next year we played better. And uh, probably the most fun I've had in coaching was those last year and a half of, uh, after the Mellow trade. Coach, all three of us have cancer. I've had bouts with cancer. And everybody tackles it differently. Everybody's impacted differently. Your first diagnosis, because that's where we need to start, when you were first hit with prostate cancer, did it come out of left field? Is it in your family? Did you have any symptoms? Did you wake up one day and say, I have cancer? How did it work? No, it was weird. I mean, um, I knew I was, you know, I had, you know, I, I, I knew I was getting up at night and pissing a lot at nighttime, which I think is a sign of prostate cancer. And you were 54 years old, mind you. So you're at that age where you start to wonder. What's funny is I got the diagnosis of having prostate cancer, the definitive knowing, I mean, I thought I had probably had it the day before the game, my first playoff game in Denver and San Antonio. And you had just been there three months, right? You had just yeah. been there. You just got there. You turned the season around. Everything's looking good. And then boom, this hits. And I, and I got the phone call in San Antonio. And, you know, I, I, I expected it. But when you're told you have it, I mean, you start thinking the worst stuff. You know, you're thinking, you know, is this the one that's going to kill you? Uh, and, and then you do all the studying and all the researching and uh, you, you get around it. But I think I've told Vic this, uh, that, you know, along the way of all the cancers I've had, you, you need someone to hold your hand. You need someone to support you. And I, I call them cancer angels. Uh, prostate's not as hard as head and neck. But head and neck, man, it was hard. Is one related to the other, Coach? Did one lead to the other? Uh, no. But you, there is a, a belief that once you get one cancer, you have a higher chance to get another cancer. And I don't even know if I told you about my ocular melanoma. That's, that's even worse. But the head and neck was hard. That was the one where I needed my hand held a lot. My family, Kobe was in town. The Nuggets had signed Kobe to a 10-day contract. So he was here. Kim was great. Uh, my family flew in to see me a lot. And what was funny, I would get letters or emails or calls. You know, Carl Malone, out of nowhere, would leave me an email. Pop would send me a package. I would get things when I needed it. And um, it's made me to become more mindful of and more balanced, which I kind of always said, if you keep fighting and you have the right support system, cancer will make you a better person. Cancer will make you tougher, smarter, and stronger in a lot of ways. But you got to get through it. You can't give in to it. You know, you got to have that, that grit of perseverance and passion at the same time uh, to get back to where you want to be. George, I don't know if people are aware of this, but you, you mentioned your son, Kobe, and, and Kobe was diagnosed with thyroid cancer himself. Well, what was worse, you getting your own diagnosis or hearing that your son was diagnosed? Uh, no question. When, you're, when, your kid, when your kid is sold, he has cancer at the 
at, you know, at the prime of his life in college, playing good basketball. I was angry. I was probably more angry than, than I was about me. And his, actually, his wife had, about two years ago, she came down with the same thyroid cancer, and she had cancer. So, um, so cancer's in our family. And I, I had ocular melanoma three years ago. What, what is that, George? Ocular melanoma is a speck in your eye. And it's melanoma of the eye. And um, less than 5,000 people get it a year. And it can kill you. This is the one that could kill me. And I had to have three eye surgeries where they put a, they biopsied it. Then they put a plate in behind it. And then they come in and take the plate out. And that's weird because they don't put you under. You're in eye surgery. They don't want you to be under. So you're, you can cut, you're groggy, but you're listening to all them talk as you, they're doing all this. But melanoma is, if it got out of the eye, it's a killer. And about, about 30% of the melanomas get out of the eye. And fortunately, I got the stupid one. So did you have that surgery done on the uh, CU Anschutz campus? I did, yeah. I mean, it was diagnosed by, I don't know if you remember when the Eye Institute opened up, what, three years ago, four, four, about five years ago? Yeah. And I spoke at it. I was the, the spokesman or the, the head of the Eye Institute lives in my neighborhood. And he's a part of a dinner party that I've always been a part of. And the rest asked me to speak. And after I spoke, he says, the rest of your life, you have eye care free of charge. And so I went in and got an exam and they found a speck. It wasn't very big, but they said, you should make sure we look at this every six months. And I went to Sacramento. I came back. When I came back and got it examined again, they said, it's, it's probably ocular melanoma. You know, George, we hear so much that stress can lend to cancer in a big way, if you will. Tell everybody what the stresses are as an NBA head coach. And you, and you were an NBA head coach for 27 years. You had, you had your share of controversies. How much of that stress do you believe lent to what you've ended up with here? Uh, my philosophy is I think, I think it's a combination of nutrition and stress. I really think what you eat, creates your body to break down. And then the stress, I think the combination of bad eating and in the NBA, you don't eat very well, especially after losses. You don't, you drink too much. And I, I, you know, I never drank to get drunk, but you drink a few beers after a game and eat pizza and chicken wings and stuff at 11, 12 o'clock at night aren't very good for you. I think people got to learn to eat right. And I think that's an education that should come at a lot younger age than we do. The second thing is stress comes in two forms. It comes in the form of your job, MBA is stressful. But it also comes in relationships. And the MBA for me, you know, I was searching for a great family and a great home base, and I, I didn't get it as well as I should have. A lot of it's my fault. But I think the stress I felt more than anything was my family. I, I was cheating my family because I wanted to be a great coach. So I had that tug of war along with all this junk that comes with NBA win-lose. And I think the combination of all that 
you know, I think where's, where's your immune system down where it dysfunctions and creates cancers or, or mutations in your body. And, and, and I think that's probably, that's my amateur uh, doctor report today. George, I'm with you on the uh, on the diet thing. I've completely uh, changed my diet. I went from the uh, you know eating at my mom's Italian cooking home uh, diet, to eat anything you can, to uh, I, I have red meat maybe once a month, and um, I've, I've changed my whole approach to that stuff. And a lot of it is because you feel like you're in control. Let's be honest. A lot of it works to the psyche that I can control something here in my battle against cancer. But I have to ask you this: You're a three time battler, three different cancers. Do you believe that you'd still be coaching today? You're 69 years old, just celebrated a birthday. If you never even saw cancer in your life, do you think you'd still be coaching? Oh. George, come on. You can't give up this game. You've never been able to give up this game. Yeah, I mean, I want to coach now. But, you know, I have a 15-year-old daughter, and I'm going to give that her two more years of my life, uh, probably not even think about it. But, I mean – you know, there is somewhat of an age discrimination going on, I think, in basketball. I mean, there's a youth movement in the NBA. And there, there's and there's a lot of change going on in coaching in the NBA. Um, but, yeah, I, I love the gym. I, I, miss, I, miss, I miss the competition. I miss the, the, the strategy in a, of a game. I can live it through my son. I can live it through my friends. But health-wise, is that? I guess what you're trying to say, Vic, is I'm I'm not doing it because of health. What other people think of my health? Yeah, I guess it's not what you want to do. It's what they perceive. Yeah, I think it's more perception because I think when you hear cancer three times, you think he's in bad health. I was in bad health when I was 285 pounds and was trying to coach in the NBA much more than I probably am now. Well, George – Listen, I mean, I don't know many people that have your type of uh, fire and uh, spirit that have gone through it three different times. I'm a one-time cancer survivor. Les, you've had a couple different versions of it. Um, Is it easier the third time? Is it easier the second time? I mean, is it easier to accept every time it comes around? I would say a little bit, but you still still get into a, a panic mode. You get into that nervous area. You know, the ocular melanoma scared the hell out of me. You know, I've never been told, you know, if it gets out of your eye, you probably have three to five years to live. And so I went through the whole thing about getting involved with cancer research and trying to figure out, you know, how to be proactive. And even though I think we are doing fantastic things in cancer, we need to do more. So, you know, I, I just think we need to continue to give a lot of money to finding a cure for cancer. Because I think we're close with genetics and with uh, stem cell. I think we're close to finding some, maybe not, maybe not cure, cure will never happen again. But where your body, you know, we can figure it out a lot better than we do now. George, we really appreciate you joining us. It's not easy to talk about. We, we know that. Vic and I know that as well. But you also have a podcast yourself. Tell us about that podcast. Oh, a couple guys in town. Uh, one guy in town, one guy in Seattle came to me about, I don't know, six months ago. And would, would I do it? And 
I like talking about basketball and I like talking about where it's going and the history of the game, past and future. And so I said, yeah. And, and what's funny, they labeled it truth in basketball. And I didn't even think about it at the time. I said, that's cool. No problem at all. But what it's evolved into is it's my, my desire to find the truth and not the bullshit, not the spin of the game. And Vic and I had talked about in our episode is it doesn't seem like anybody's telling the truth. And it's always, we're, we're spinning it. We're, we're walking around it. We're, we're camouflaging it. And I don't, I don't know why we're doing that. And so the podcast, Truth in Basketball, gives me an opportunity to kind of go deeper, to go more soulful, to bring out what I felt from my heart, not not to spin of what came out in the press conference. All right. I need the truth right now. Did you snub Michael Jordan at that restaurant that he talked about in the last dance? Hell yeah, I did. <laughs> but did he snub me? Why couldn't he come over and talk to me? <laughs> and I think it was when I was down 0-2. And I, wasn't, I didn't want to talk to him anyway. George, you're the best. Uh, appreciate the time. I appreciate the honesty. And you're so forthright about your life and what you've gone through. And uh, this is what people need to hear. Yes, thank you, George. And now it's time for a quick break. And we'll be right back with Dr. Antonio Jimeno from the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. We Are Unstoppable is sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You know, Les, when I got hit with prostate cancer, it's the first place I turned to because I know the Anschutz Campus, they really delve into breakthrough technology. If there's something new on the horizon, I know they've got it. And I was hit with lung cancer, and that's where I get treated as well, at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. They've got me up and running. They've made me unstoppable. Lest they've made us unstoppable, and they're located right here in the heart of the Rocky Mountain region. We're now joined by Dr. Antonio Jimeno. He is a professor of medicine, oncology, and otolaryngology at the University of Colorado School of Medicine on the CU Anschutz Medical Campus. Hello, Dr. Jimeno. How are you doing, Les? Doing great. Thank you very much. Now, you heard George Carl talk about how he has battled and survived head and neck cancer through the years. Can you tell us something about the disease and its origins right now? So, so head and neck cancer was this, the second cancer that Coach Carl battled. And um, this is a serious disease, as he pointed out. Uh, it is one of the solid tumors with the highest incidence in increase over the last 20 years in the United States. Um, we've gone from uh, about 39,000 cases in 2005 to about almost 65,000 cases in 2020, um, which is a almost a 65% increase. Um, and this is due to a shift in smoking habits where people have decreased using cigarettes, which is good for decreasing lung cancer incidence, but have continued to use chewing tobacco, cigars, um, and consume alcohol, which causes head and neck cancer. In addition... There's been a dramatic increase in the frequency of human papillomavirus-related head and neck cancer, which accounts for uh, that uh, spike in incidence. And um, unfortunately, the latter cases affect younger and healthier patients and typically occur in the throat. Well, Dr. Jimeno, I, I know you believe that, that this type of cancer is extremely important and very unique in its own way. Why is that? 
Hellenic cancer is, 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 a, is, a, is a particularly important uh, and impactful cancer for, for people, for my patients, because you see, this is the area that, that, um, that fundamentally defines us as, as, as a person. Uh, it is, it is, our face is our identity, our facial expression sometimes communicates more or at the same level as our voice, uh, which by the way is also located in the Hellenic area. And we interact with the world through our sense of smell, through our vision, through our taste, so uh, th these are uh, functions that are affected by hyaluronic cancer and can be affected by the treatment. In addition, uh, we breathe and swallow again things we need um, uh, through this through this area. So this is why it's it's it's, it's a, an important uh, cancer and and minimizing the toxicity and the impact of our treatments is is so important. We increasingly have young patients who have jobs and families and, and relationships that they, and, and these, these, these patients demand that we treat them not just to cure them, but that we consider quality of life uh, and, and, and how they look and, and function. Uh, I think um, an, ex, an example is, is Coach Carl, who at the time of his head and neck cancer diagnosis was leading in a very direct in-person manner, if you, if you know him, uh, that requires a lot of empathy and the ability of others to understand what you're trying to convey while he was undergoing this treatment. And that's why this is uh, so critical. Well, then I would imagine you believe that, that this type of cancer requires a, a different and a unique approach to treatment, yes? I, I think I would subscribe to that point of view. Uh, this is a, a kind of cancer that requires specialized teams of people um, dealing with this, with this kind of, uh, of, of cancer that mainly are devoted to this. And typically those, kinds of, uh, those teams include uh, surgeons, radiation oncologists, medical oncologists, pathologists, radiologists. So very specialized teams. Um, uh, and many of these cancers require complex treatments that involve all, all of the above, surgery, radiation, chemo. The sensitive nature of the area where these cancers arise explains that in many of these patients, we try to uh, do treatment geared towards preserving their function and their organ. So the improvements in radiation and chemo in the last two decades have allowed for us to treat increasingly more patients in a fashion that preserves their integrity. And this is not unlike other areas of oncology, such as breast cancer, where 20 years ago we were doing huge surgeries that are now a thing of the past. So uh, the treatment, uh, even uh, with radiation and chemo, organ preservation, it is a really hard treatment. Uh, and I think uh, Coach Carl uh, pointed that out. And uh, this is what brings patients and their providers together. We really do push patients to the limit in order to kill the cancer, then bring them back through a lot of teamwork, uh, including dietitians, speech therapists, and a whole lot of supportive care providers to make sure that we can put our patients back on track of their normal lives as soon as possible. So what do you see as the future for head and neck cancer treatment? And, and you can talk short-term and or long-term if you'd like. The head and neck cancer has been, along with melanoma, another cancer that has uh, touched Coach Carl, has been one of the battlegrounds, one of the areas where immunotherapy has succeeded the most. And we are incorporating that more and more uh, to our treatment. Immunotherapy leverages the immune system from the patient to fight the cancer uh, rather than fighting it with chemicals, for example. In essence, it is sort of like waking up the immune system and redirecting the patient's own immunity to do what it should have done a little earlier, which is fight the cancer. So now we know that uh, immunotherapies are, are, are safe, if not safer, 
than conventional treatments and are actually more effective in some cases. So uh, that paradigm of better outcomes with less toxicity uh, is now the standard of care in, in, in many uh, head and neck cancers. And we are incorporating it earlier um, to try to uh, combine it with radiation and chemo and surgery to cure more people. Now, in terms of future therapies, we are now offering our patients cutting-edge trials with cell uh, therapies uh, and are working hard in the laboratory to find the basis of head and neck cancer because I, I completely agree with um, a notion that, that, that Coach Carl mentioned that research is critical here and the majority of basic research occurs in the universities and um, this, is, this is a much-needed investment to then bring those discoveries into treatments to help more of our patients and cure more of our patients. But you can never underestimate the value and the importance of early research, which is supported with our tax dollars and with philanthropy in that fight, because uh, although that's the research that has the longest view uh, or the longest play, it is the one that comes up with the um, uh, paradigm shifting changes. So um, uh, a kudos out here to Coach Carl and many people here in, in, in Colorado and around the country that are helping us with philanthropy um, uh, to continue um, looking for the cure and looking for um, the what will be offered to our patients 10 years from now. Well, you heard Coach Carl uh, talk about cancer as a journey. I am on that journey myself with lung cancer. My co-host, Vic Lombardi, is on that journey as well with prostate cancer. What have you learned as a doctor about this, about this journey from your patients? So I have to say that witnessing the journey that our patients experience or endure, depending on how you look at it, uh, it is the single biggest privilege we have as doctors. We treat mostly ordinary people uh, in extraordinary circumstances and, and witness extreme feats of courage, extreme leaps of faith in research, in science, in, uh, in, 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 in themselves. And time after time, what we see is that cancer brings the best out of people. Uh, I think it refocuses their priorities, strengthens their family ties. And this is something that comes out of balancing the pain, the angst, the hope, and taking ownership of their life and how they want to walk this journey. I mean, a lot of our patients tell us that they struggled, but they came out better people and they want to continue contributing or contributing in a different way. I mean, I could tell you so many stories. For example, a patient of mine was told a decade ago he had months to live, and after an experimental therapy essentially put him in remission for now a decade, he is now the lead of the entire UC Health volunteer team uh, that helps patients navigate their, their appointments. Another patient of mine uh, just completed a couple months ago and won a year after beating head and neck cancer, a 660-mile two-person team race uh, where 90 other three, 93 other teams competed. So um, I think that a successful cancer journey made these people unstoppable. And I am uh, Antonio Jimeno. I have uh, the best job in the world helping people beat head and neck cancer at the CU Anschutz University Hospital. And my patients, I feel, have made me unstoppable as well. Dr. Antonio Jimeno, really appreciate your time and thank you for your insight. Anytime.
Thanks for listening to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You want more Unstoppable stories? Subscribe to our podcast wherever you find and listen to podcasts. You can even ask your smart speaker to play We Are Unstoppable podcasts. And you can visit us at our website, unstoppablepodcasts.com, for more episodes and ways to subscribe. That's unstoppablepodcasts.com. Subscribe today.